Okay, we're going to go ahead and get going. Um, we've been in our study of the life of Christ. Um, we're doing a harmony of the Gospels. For some of you new guys that haven't been in here, we haven't mentioned this in a while. But what does it mean to harmonize? It means to bring together and make things sync. And when we talk about the Gospels, the word Gospel means good news. And the whole Bible is good news, but there are four books in the Bible that are known as the Gospels. Uh, who knows what they are? What were they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four Gospels are four of the apostles' accounts of the, the physical life of Jesus, his life here on the earth. Uh, when he was uh, born of the virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried, on the third day he rose again, right? And so this is the story of Jesus' earthly ministry while he was here. And so we've been studying that over the last, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so we've been going through this. And we've gotten a pretty good ways into the story. Um, Just for a quick refresher for those of you that have maybe not been able to make it the last couple weeks, um, uh, just let's take a quick reminder of some of the things we've been talking about lately. Um, A couple weeks ago we talked about how Christians can doubt that even though I have faith and even though I'm a believer, um, when I get to look into my circumstances, the, the situation in my life, or I get to looking inside myself for the answers, uh, I can have doubts. I can have misunderstandings. I can have fears. I can, I can be worried, you see? And so one of the things that we've learned is that instead of looking to self and instead of looking at our circumstances, we always have to make sure that our focus is on God's promises to us and not our promises to Him. You see what I mean? We need to realize that God always keeps His promise. You and I aren't so good at doing that, but He is. And if you are a believer, what that means is that you have His promise. And so we went through an example. We saw an example of John the Baptist who had been locked up in prison for preaching truth. Uh, and, and you know, uh, what you'll find is this world is not too, take, does not take too kindly... To you telling them the truth. The world does not take too kindly to you telling them the truth. As a matter of fact, when we're honest with ourselves, when somebody else comes to us and tells us the truth, sometimes it kind of ticks us off too, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we tell people, like that. yeah, we tell people to mind their own business. Stop what? Stop what? Judging me, yeah, right? Don't, don't judge me. Judge me. <laughs> uh, and and so we don't like it when we're when we're confronted with truth often. And so John the Baptist was preaching the truth. He got locked up into prison. And uh, and during that time in prison, he was having doubts. What is so amazing about that is he was filled with the Holy Spirit from a child. When he was still in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit filled him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, He was the prophesied one uh, mentioned in the book of Malachi and the book of Isaiah. He was going to be the the one that uh, proclaimed the coming Messiah was here. Uh, He baptized Jesus, uh, saw the Holy Spirit descend from heaven on Jesus, and heard the Father in heaven say, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So he had all the reason in the world to believe, did he not? And yet, once he got locked up into prison and things started going the wrong way, what happened? He had doubt. And so he sent some people to Jesus to ask him if he's really the Messiah. And what was it that Jesus uh, used to confirm for John the Baptist that he was the Messiah? Does anybody remember? He said, Go and tell John that the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. Right? What was he saying? All of the promises of the Old Testament are being fulfilled in my work. You see, what did Jesus do? He he didn't point John to his circumstances. He didn't point John to himself. 
he pointed John to the promises of God. And that's very important to see. Because when we watch the news, when we look at the politics going on around us, when you look at your finances, your bank statements, <laughs> when you look at the world around you, it's in constant flux, isn't it? Yeah. And what we need to do is we need to realize that despite all of the changes and all of the, the corruption we see around us, all of the, 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 the fear and the doubt and the hate and the wars and the lies, all of that are going on around us, God's promises are still being fulfilled this very second. He is not up in heaven pulling his hair going, oh no, what am I going to do with that crazy right, world? And this life on earth is temporary. We are looking mm-hmm. for eternal life with Christ. Good. All right. So, That's what does Jesus our happiness is. Yep. And what does Jesus do? He points John and his doubts to the scriptures. The next thing we saw a couple weeks after that was uh, we saw where uh, there were two reactions to the preaching of the gospel. John the Baptist was preaching the gospel and there was two groups of people that were mentioned and two separate reactions. One group was the sinners and the tax collectors, right? And what do we learn about the sinners and tax collectors? What was their reaction to the proclamation of the gospel? Hope. 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 They received it. They believed it. Remember, John baptized them, right? So, they believed and the proof of their belief was that they followed in obedience to God's commands. And that's one of the things that you're going to see throughout the life of Jesus. As we go through the Gospels, you're going to see two different reactions to proclamations of the truth. Some people are going to receive it and believe it and walk in it. And some people are going to reject it and walk away from it. So, who are the true children of God? The ones that receive His promises, the ones who believe His promises, and the ones who walk in His promises. Who are the children of the devil, as Jesus called them? He told the Pharisees, He said, You are of your father the devil. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, and you just like him. So, what, does it, what, what indicates a child of the devil or a child of this world? They, reject, they, don't, they refuse to hear the promise. They refuse to receive the promise. They refuse to believe the promise. And they refuse to walk in the promise. Remember we learned several months ago where Jesus said that, that beware of false professors. That you will know them by their what? Their, their fruits. Their works. Good. Right? And so it said, can a good tree put off bad fruit? And can a bad tree put off good fruit? He said, nope. So you can look at their fruits and you can tell what kind of roots they have. Now, as Christians, do we ever stumble and not walk in God's promises? Yes, we certainly do. But the difference in a child of the promise and a child of the world is that when a child of the promise falls and stumbles, he gets back up and stops relying on who? Himself and goes back to the promises of God for his hope and strength. You see how that works? And so we see that over and over again in the, the life of Jesus and his Can preaching. Can you imagine if you, if you didn't have God to go back to? I mean, how hopeless would your life seem? Very much, very much. So today, we have hope. Today we're going to look at uh, one of the, well, we'll actually see both groups. We're going to see the, 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 the Christ rejectors. And we're going to see believers, and we're going to see their reaction to the proclamation of the gospel. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 7.
Luke chapter 7, and we're going to, it's kind of strange because we're going to actually talk about women a little bit today, and all we got in here is men, and of course we got Lori, but we got got Lori, but it's all guys in here, but but we're going to see how the women follow Jesus, right? These women that follow Jesus, we'll see them. And isn't it funny how guys, have you ever noticed that in, in churches, a lot of times, it's usually the women that do all of the work and do all of the, the praying and do all of the going to the church. It might appear that way. It mm-hmm. might appear that way, but if you think about it, the women have their role. And yes, you see them doing all the work in the bake sales and, and with the children and the smocking and all that kind of stuff. But the men are running the church. You know, that's a lot. That's a big responsibility. Uh, point well taken. Uh, but you'll notice, and in, in also in a lot of homes, that it's usually the woman that takes charge of the spiritual condition of the family. She's the one that gets the kids oh, up and makes them go to church, and, and the husband stays home because that's his one day off that week, and he's going to rest. And you see, and have you ever noticed that that it's usually the women, right? And and what is the reason for that? Uh, I, well, I, there, I, I think there's plenty of different reasons for it, and I don't want to sound sexist or anything, but I think that sometimes women are easily more uh, emotional and and have more of a uh, a spiritual leaning, a more a tendency to, to to gravitate towards emotion and feelings and things like that, which is something that 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 uh, religion gives us. Men are kind of hard-headed and hard-hearted and don't want to believe. We we kind of have a natural cynicism about it. Well, right? you also have the role throughout throughout the years and centuries. Men were the protectors. Men were the providers. So for them to be able to need help and need hope where they're not the center of it, you know. Yeah. So but once they grasp that, there's no stronger man in the world. I, I would agree. And then I once was fixing they grasp to, the Lord, yeah. there's no stronger yeah, man. Yeah, I, I was I was fixing to agree with you very much so on that. And and not only that, but a challenge to you, it's all everybody but hit Lori here's a man. Um the Bible demands of you, it commands of you to be the spiritual leader of your home. It says as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of his family. And you have a responsibility to be a living example of Christ and his love here on earth to both your family and to your kids, you know, your wife, your kids, and, and to the people around you. And so uh, if we could just get the men in this country to stand up and be what they're supposed to be in, instead of what they're not. Uh, yeah. There you go. So uh, let's go ahead and look at our passage for today in John, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And what we'll do is we'll go ahead. I wanted to, will you please explain what a centurion yes. servant, explain what kind of person that is. A centurion, centurion, centurion is someone who's in charge of 100 soldiers. In the Roman army. Yeah. So his servant would be like a very low person? or yes. But I don't think we're looking at that today, though. We saw that last. We, Luke we, seven. Yeah, we did that last time. We, we've already oh, we've already okay. covered that. Uh, yeah, what, what, we're what? actually going to Luke seven verse thirty six through oh, fifty. Oh, I'm way back. I'm so sorry. Right. That's okay. We we did we did the centurion servant um, several months ago. We did that. Oh, a sinful woman forgiven. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and look at this. We'll read it through, and then what we'll do is we'll go back and talk about it. And we're actually going to go to Luke. 8 verse 1 through 3. So we're going to do uh, John, uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50, and then 8, 1 through 3. All right, so this is what it says. Now, one of the Pharisees, 
was requesting uh, him, that's Jesus, to dine with him, that's the Pharisee, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. All right. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster uh, vial full of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. All right, so let's go ahead and stop there now and see what's going on. So the first person we're introduced to in this uh, uh, passage is a Pharisee, right? We've learned about the Pharisees before. The, for, uh, for On the whole, the Pharisees were enemies of Jesus, on the whole. There were some that actually turned and believed in him, but on the main, it was the uh, religious conservatives, the religious right wing, if you will. Congress. Huh? Congress. No, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, no, it that's would be... Like, it Pharisees, would, that's like, I look at them as like, like, pretty much like being Congress. Modern day Congress would be... <laughs> it would be more like a modern day uh, denominational convention of believers. Like, it would be the really hardcore church going crowd that's right wing conservative kind of group. It would be a group of men and the Pharisees were men it would be a group of men who were holier than thou they didn't smoke they didn't drink they didn't chew they didn't uh, date women that do right they they didn't uh, cheat and lie on their wives they always gave money when the offering plate come around they always got a gold star in Sunday school they never missed church they were there all the time and if you were to look at a Pharisee um, in your mind you would think that's one of the most religious people that I know that kind of attitude, you see. Now, is there anything wrong with all of those things I just said? Yes. No, those are all good things to do. But these Pharisees were depending upon their own righteousness as their approval to God. They were thinking that God was approving of them because of how good they were. And what's the problem with that? The Bible teaches us that there are none righteous, no, not one. And that the only way that we will ever be approved in the eyes of God is through the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. See, the things that you do are not earning you salvation. The things that you do may be a proof that you are saved, but they do not earn you salvation. And if you ever get to the point where you think the things that you are doing is getting you favor with God, you are in a bad standing. Because what you are starting to do is you're starting to lean on works righteousness. What I am doing is making me righteous before God. And so, think about that. If you are in a position in your life where you think that what you are doing is gaining you approval of God, who are you depending on? Yourself. Yourself. You see? You're not depending on God. You're depending on you. Because the moment you screw up, what does that mean? God don't approve of you anymore. Right, and so you'll live your life in this this uh, uh, religious roller coaster of today I'm holy and tomorrow I'm not, and today I'm holy and tomorrow I'm not. So again, what is one of the key uh, indications of a true child of God? 
They're not depending upon their circumstance. They're not depending upon their selves. They're depending upon the promise of God alone. You see how that works? And so these Pharisees, what was their problem? They were depending on themselves and how good they were as their means of approval with God. And one of the things that it shows is that through the gospel message is that these guys hate Jesus. Because Jesus is coming along and living right out in front of their face what true righteousness looks like. What true wisdom is. What true knowledge is. What true power from God is. These Pharisees, think about it. They saw him do miracles. There's one story where they saw him raise a man from the dead and they ran back down to Jerusalem and said, all right, we're going to have to kill him and we're going to have to kill that dude he raised from the dead. Oh, wow. Think about that. They know who he is. And what are they doing? They're rejecting him. Now, next week when we get back together. I just don't understand what their thought process was. They knew who he was. He's here to save the world and they're willing to go to hell and by killing him. Yes, the thought process is unbelief. It's complete. But they knew who he was. It, they're dead in their trespassing and sin. They're completely blind to the truth and they willfully suppress the truth. That means with all of their heart and their desires, they willfully push that truth down and don't want to believe it. And it's the same situation that all of us in this room were in before God saved us. Same position. Sure. All right? So next week when we get back together, we're going to actually talk about something known as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the one sin that can't be that God won't forgive. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. But these guys are doing that. I, they're, I do they, they, that. They're actually attributing to Jesus works of the devil. They're saying the only reason he can do the things that he's doing is because he, he's got the devil in him. So they're rejecting him. But this Pharisee um, invites him to his house. Now, one of the reasons you could probably guess that he invited him to his house is because he wants to get close to him and he wants him to sit down and have dinner. Usually when you sit around with folks and eat dinner, you, you kind of let yourself go a little bit. You open up your conversations and let people know who you are and that kind of thing. And these Pharisees are looking for any way in the world they can find to condemn Jesus, to catch him doing something wrong. We've talked about this about a year and a half ago, or a little longer ago than that. But remember, there are two main accusations against Jesus that got him nailed to the cross. Two accusations from his enemies that got him nailed to the cross. Does anybody remember what those two accusations were? Just claim to be the Son of God. Good. Claim to be literally to be God. He he was claiming to be God. And so they said that there's only one God and that you are lying, you're blaspheming, that good. So the main reason they nailed him to the cross was his claim to be God, to be the Son of God. That's the main reason. Is there a place in that way that um, does not your Bible tell you that we are all gods? Uh, well, we, yeah, that's I don't. I really don't have time to go into that passion now. That's in the book of Psalms. But we, um, the devil got in trouble for thinking that he was Should a I god. Should I make a note of it so we can go down that? No, we hole? won't go down that hole today. But uh, that that passage, uh, that passage was used. It's in Matthew. Yeah, yeah, well, he because he's quoting Psalms. Yeah, he's quoting the book of Psalms. So. Uh, he claims to be God. And the other thing is, is that he's a Sabbath breaker. That's the other thing. Oh, now, yes. now, what is wrong with being a Sabbath breaker? If he's breaking the Sabbath, what is he doing? Breaking he's breaking the law. He's sinning. And so a lot of times when he heals people on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees look at him and say, oh, you just broke the Sabbath because it required work to heal somebody. Right? But and so, for him it didn't. He just did it. Well, it's the power of God. Not It's not his work, but 
it's God, as it were. Um, and and so, well, it is His work. And I, I was wrong in saying that. It's His work. He is God. He is 100% man. He is 100% God. But so these are the two accusations. And so what these guys are doing is any chance they get. They're trying to get Jesus to condemn himself through his words. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to do something that is wrong, you see? So uh, this Pharisee is inviting his house. Now, you may say, well, uh, maybe this guy just really wanted to know who Jesus was and was bringing him home to have a meal with him because he really wanted to get to know him. But in just a second, we're going to see the true heart condition of this Pharisee, okay? So let's continue to look. It says... Um, the Pharisee was requesting him to dine with him. He entered into the house and reclined at the table. So what did the Pharisee do? He invited Jesus, and Jesus accepted the invitation. He comes to his house, right? It's, uh, it reminds me of John chapter 1 when it says this. Um, he came unto his own, but his own people did not receive him, right? He gave those folks the opportunity to believe. There's not a one of them on judgment day going to be able to stand before him with an excuse to say, oh, well, we didn't know because he did come to them and he and he uh, catered to them. He, he let them know who he was and yet they still reject him. So it said there was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, that's a nice way to describe her, isn't it? What do we know about this woman? Number one, she's a woman. And number two, she's a sinner. That's all we know about her, right? Uh, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. All right. Now, uh, this perfume is very, very expensive. Uh, it would have been basically like this woman's life savings. You know, it would have been a lot of money. It would have been very valuable, very dear to her. And it says, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. So where is she at? She's behind him. She's at his feet. And what is she doing? She's weeping. What does that show us? Behind him, at his feet, weeping. What What is this woman expressing here, God? Submission. Submission? Good. That's one. What else? Gratefulness. Uh, Gratefulness. Forgiving. Humility. Mercy. Mercy. Well, look at, she's looking for mercy and forgiveness. That's exactly right. But um, I, uh, what was your first name? Ronald. Oh, that's a great name. Uh, Ronald, name. <laughs> uh, Ronald uh, brought up the point that she was showing submission. And remember what Jesus said, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So when you call Jesus Lord, you're actually admitting that he is the boss of you. I use this example a lot with, in my ladies' classes. I, I say, ladies, now you know that 300 years ago, a woman would bow before her husband and say, my Lord. And boy, you can just feel the hairs going up on the back of their neck. But the reality is, submission is something that is not natural to a woman or a man. It's not something any of us want to do. We want to be the boss. And so by being behind him and at his feet, she is showing submission. She is showing uh, a willingness to humble herself. She's at his feet. right? And so what does she do? She wets his feet with her tears and keeps wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, so her tears are pouring on his feet. 
and obviously they must be per, pretty heavy tears because it's enough for her. Uh, she so she mixes her tears, which are signs of her what brokenness and pain and hurt, and 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 could be tears of joy, but it's probably more tears of humility and sadness, right? And she mixes that with the what the the perfume. What is that a symbol of? Of thanks and 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 uh, worship. worship, right? My study and Bible beauty. says. All right, let's see what Lori's study Bible says. Um, for her to attend took great courage because I I, I want to just read the whole thing here. It's, it's not a lot. He was reclining at the low table as was custom, and would have been shocked for all women to for, of such low reputation to come to a Pharisee's house. So that in itself took courage. Um, such dinners, such dinners involved dignitaries and were often open to spectators. But no one would have expected a prostitute to attend. Her coming took great courage. It reveals the desperation in which she sought forgiveness. Her weeping was an expression of deep repentance. Okay, so she's repenting. She's sorry for what she's done. She's sorry for the life she's lived. And she's turned away from that life, and, and she's turned to the right place. And she did whatever it took. She turned to Jesus. To yes. That's what I was thinking, too. I'm thinking, like, we mentioned a woman, and I said, I don't like judge this. She probably more like was a prostitute. Now, I mean, that's why Pharisees, they, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't like her. Yeah. Know what I mean? And think about that. Think about that in the attitudes of our churches nowadays. There are a lot of people that won't yeah. go to church because of what? They're afraid of what? Of being judged. People are going to judge them and look down on them. Right? And that's exactly where they need to be. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that should be, for the folks in church, that should be a reprimand. That you need to have an attitude that everybody is a sinner. And that there is no God is not a favor of persons. It's like God's forgiveness is there for all. So yeah. you said like people like um, sinners they should be ashamed to come to church. And no, 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 no. So that's but the case. A lot, of people, you are. <laughs> a lot of people are ashamed and won't come because I mean, I they're afraid of people looking. I first was on my way. Of course, I've been to church like I that. I was as good huh? as they I, I bought the churches and they looked at me like. What are you doing here? You know what I mean? That's just, that's what we're saying. That's exactly Paul what Patrick we're saying. Said, I can tell you, you go to church, you look at what you got on, you're in the wrong church. I can tell you, I can ride the back. You know what I mean? Well, well, and that, some churches that don't matter to, which uh, you to My church the don't matter. People who believed didn't need you. Right? Yeah. The tax collectors and the sinners to, uh, because they were the ones that needed the help the most. Yep, that's exactly right. And it's the ones that recognize their need point. for help, they got the help they needed, right? The other folks didn't get any help because they didn't think they needed That's any. That's a very good point. <laughs> I guess nobody liked the tech collectors. Nobody liked the tech collectors. What kind of sinners were they? I mean, they're sinners, but I think we all are sinners. But oh, I they guess. were corrupt. They, they were a tax collector. What you need to hear when you hear a tax collector now is what you need to hear of as a loan shark. People that loan a lot, of, they get money from you, and if you don't pay it, they come break your knees. Yeah. That kind of thing. Not like a tax collector today. It's not like the IRS man, even though he is just as wicked as. And there was no accountability for them, so they could be corrupt. All right. So we have this woman. She's at his feet. Now remember, um, I was thinking about this while I was taking a shower today, uh, washing off uh, my feet. Um, You know, we have a lot of concrete and grass today. Back then, it was all dirt. 
You did, it wasn't like you could walk on a concrete sidewalk and everybody wore sandals, so your feet are going to be constantly. When I wear my sandals, my feet are way dirtier than they are than when I wear socks and shoes. And so, um, in, in most of the uh, upper and middle class homes back in that day, you would actually own a servant. You would have a servant, a slave that was a foot washer. They would literally hang around at the door, and when people would come into the house, they would get down on their knees and wash the people's feet as they came into the house. It was a it was a show of hospitality from the homeowner. You so see, you mean, I, I I understand what you said. So I had to wash I could I don't know a scrape. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad we not back on times. I'm glad that you recognize. Yeah. I, I I'm glad that you recognize how humiliating that would be to have to get on your knees and wash somebody's nasty yeah, feet. I can't imagine right? that. That's that's humiliation. That's exactly right. And remember that Jesus took off his robe and put a towel around his waist and got on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples just hours before he went and died on the cross for them. And can you imagine this? Jesus was on his knees washing Judas's feet, the very one that he knew was fixing to go sell him out for 30 yeah, pieces of silver. Yeah. So up to, the, up to the very last second before Judas went and sold him out, Jesus was still showing him love and mercy. You see how that works? That's amazing to think that Jesus is that merciful. And, so, and what we're going to see here as we get through the rest of this lesson is, if God has shown me mercy, then what, is my, what does He command of me or what is His desire for me? To be merciful to others, right? And that's what we're going to see with this young lady. So it says she's wiping. And remember, her, she's, she's, the tears are on His feet. The perfume's on His feet. And then she takes her hair and she's washing His feet with her hair. Now, for you guys in the room now, most of y'all are just like me. We don't have a whole lot of hair, right? But for a woman, even back in that day and today in modern times, their hair is very important, isn't it? Yes. Right? Man, do you know how happy a woman gets? You want to make a woman happy? Give her a gift certificate go get her hair permed and, and, and a day at the day spa. Who took pride in the hair? Boy, man, that'd be tickle pink. They love to go get their hair done. Of course, I do too, man. I, I mean, I'm not a woman, but I do like to have somebody cut my hair. I feel good when I get done. But women, think of all of the hair care products that's out there in the world for women and taking care of their hair. You ever thought about that? I'm really not. There's shampoos and conditioners and hair tie. Man, how many of you see them always messing with their hair? Hair ties. That's true. Bandanas, hair ties, certain cars. Them girls that I work with, I get tickled. I get so tickled at them. They wear these. Um, they they put these weaves in there. They get these nice uh, wigs that they put on, and they're, and, they're, and it looks real. Like I I didn't even know it wasn't real on some of them, but I was I, I get I get tickled because them girls. Um, they, I always used to see the girls at work, and they would be taking their flat of their hand and hitting the top of their head with it. Have you ever seen a girl yeah. doing that? Yeah. Oh, you I do not know when your hair is braided. Right. It right. itches. Right. It itches. I never knew that. I, the two girls that I kept seeing do that, I thought they had like a mental condition. Like I thought, yeah. I thought, I thought they had Tourette's yeah. or something. Because it itches and you and finally one day I just braided. said, I said, why are you doing that? And she said, because my hair itches. It itches my head. It itches my scalp to have that on there. So they hit their head. And I got tickled in thinking about that. But think about the extent of effort that women go through to make sure that their hair looks nice. You ever thought about that? Mm-hmm. So even back in this day, with her being a prostitute, um, her hair was her calling card. You know, yeah. if she if she you know if she had the Sinead O'Connor look, then not a whole lot of folks going to talk to her. <laughs> you know, or if she had like dandruff and you know like all nasty. So what is she doing? She's using the, the one of the things that's most important to her and literally using it as a towel to scrub his feet. 
So um, thank you down there for bringing up. It's, it's definitely it's humility and it's submission. That's what she's showing. So when God is truly Lord of our hearts, our hearts are going to yield to submission and, uh, and to humility. To recognize that God loved me even when I was yet a sinner. So, now, watch what happens next. When the Pharisees who had invited him, this is verse 39, saw that he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he were a prophet, now is Jesus Jesus a prophet? Yeah, according to Moses, the greatest prophet ever lived. Like, he's going to be the prophet. But what does this guy say? If he were a prophet. So what does that show us automatically about? He doubt and unbelief. He don't believe he's a prophet. Why? If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. Now, how many people around that table are sinners? All of them. All of them except Jesus, right? Yes. Everybody around that table is a sinner. Mm -hmm. But to that Pharisee, what? She's a sinner. She's the worstest one. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) prostitute. Oh, whore. You know? That's what he's thinking. And he's saying in his mind, he's thinking this in his mind. Let me say, he said to himself, if this man really were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. All right? So now so he would say that to himself. Nobody else, nobody else in the Jesus room. Knew. Nobody else in the room knew it. And what we're going to see is Jesus is now going to uh, address Simon the Pharisee. All right? He's going to address him. He's going to speak to him. Out loud. Out loud. So Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher, rabbi. Uh, and so Jesus is going to answer him. Now, what we see in this story today is that Jesus, remember, he is 100% man. He sits around the table and eats food with people. But he is also 100% God. And you will see times in his life when the Spirit of God will make his human nature aware of things. Okay? Right, like being able to hear Simon under his breath. Right, so he, but not under his breath. Well, in his mind. In his mind. Yeah. yeah right. And you'll see several different stories of this in the Bible where Jesus actually knows what somebody's thinking ahead of time and address him. So what Jesus is going to do here is he is going to use something we've talked about in the past known as a parable. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's going to tell us a story about something that happens on earth, but the point of the story is to teach us to apply the facts in the story to the way that the kingdom of God works. Okay, so look what he says. I have something to say to you, Simon. And Simon said, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were both unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them loved him more? All right, so here's the story. Got two guys that are debtors. What does it mean to be a debtor? Owing something. You owe one of them owed 500 in area, which means about 500 days wages. All right, so that's about a year and a half's worth of money. That's just I'm going to use just a simple number just so that we can we it'll make sense to all of us. Let's just say you make twenty thousand dollars a year. All right, that guy would owe about thirty thousand dollars. The other guy owed fifty in area, which means he owed about a tenth of a year's wages. 
which would mean he owed about $200. So one guy owes $30,000, one guy owes $50 or, you know, $200. You can you know you can understand the difference in that kind of debt. If I owe two hundred dollars, I can I can pay that off in a couple of weeks if I work really hard and save my money. When I owe twenty thousand, it's not so easy to get out of that kind of debt, is it? Right? It would be the difference in being a month behind on your light bill or uh, owing your your mortgage on your home. That kind of difference in debt. All right, and so neither one were able to repay. So the um, money lender graciously forgave them both. Which one of them will love him more? So you see what he's asking? Neither one could pay, so the guy they owed money forgave both of them. Which one of them is going to love him more? The one that owed $200 or the one that owed $300? All right, well, watch what he says. Simon answered, and he said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. So Simon is actually kind of a money lender, is a tax collector, isn't he? He like he deals in money. So Jesus is speaking right in his wheelhouse, and he said, "One guy owed two hundred, one guy owed thirty thousand. That's not the, that, that's American money. I'm, it, it said five hundred denarii, fifty denarii, and he forgave both of them. Which one's going to love him more? And Simon pegged it, the one who has been forgiven the most, the guy that owed five hundred dollars has been get, forgiven. $500 worth of forgiveness. The other guy, only $50 worth of forgiveness. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. Remember, that was a custom in that day. He came in. He didn't get his feet washed when he came in the door. And yet this woman, uh, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right? It's an awesome story, isn't it? So watch what he's doing. Jesus is sitting at the table. On one side, he has a Pharisee who's got lots of money, a nice house, and enough money to have a big party and then have a feast over at his house. He's got all of his friends around the table. He's got all kind of physical uh, pleasures of this life. He's got plenty. Like he's got friends. He's got confidants. He's got people that care about him. He's got all kind of stuff going on around him. And yet, what do we have? This lowly whore who has nothing except her sin who's broken and busted and sad for what she's done. They both heard about Jesus. The Pharisee invited Jesus into his house, but he invited him there for all the wrong reasons. He invited him there. He invited him there just so he could tell all his friends, oh yeah, I had that rabbi Jesus over at my house to eat. You see? Right? 
Like it'd be like inviting somebody famous over your house. Oh yeah, I had so and so, a famous guy, come and have dinner with me. This woman hears about him and comes to him. Why? Because she's broken and repentant. Now, to finish up the class today, though, we need to get through a couple of the statements that he makes here. Look what it says. You gave me no kiss. She's kissed my feet. You gave me nothing. You didn't wash my feet. This woman has continually washed my feet. You did not anoint my head. She's anointed my feet with perfume. So, what is one of the differences between the two? One thought he was too good for that stuff and the other wasn't good enough. Good. All right. Not only that, but true belief always evokes action. True faith. True unbelief always evokes actions too, doesn't it? Right? So, whatever is in your heart is going to come out in your actions. And it's very important for us to see that. If the Holy Spirit is in you, He is going to come out of you. What do I mean when I say that? Does that mean you're going to stand in front of a bunch of people at church and start squalling like uh, in tongues and speaking all kind of craziness and babbling? Is that the Holy Spirit coming out of you? No. No. The true fruits of the Holy Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. So if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, He's coming out in your actions and your thoughts and your words and who you are. If He's not inside of you, then the old Adam, the old fallen man is going to come out of you. And that's what we're seeing with these two people. You see how that works? So, you can know a tree by its fruit. Jesus is very emphatic about that. You can know it, you will know a tree by its fruit. And you will also know this, that just because someone says, Lord, Lord, does not mean that they trust God. This man showed all of the proper hospitality. He invited him into his house. He addressed him as rabbi. You see? All his, his social uh, uh, etiquette was, was there. But his heart wasn't with him. And that's a huge difference. Now look what he says. He said, uh, For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. Now it's very important for you guys to see this as we finish up this class today. Was she forgiven because she came into the house, cried on his feet, washed his feet with her hair, and poured, poured the ointment on his feet? Is that why she was forgiven? No. 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 That is faith? so important for us to see. What's her faith? Remember what Lori's study Bible told us earlier? Her tears were a representation of what? Repentance. She had truly turned away from what she had done, what she is doing, and what she will do, and turned to Christ alone. So, the gift of repentance, the gift of faith, are all gifts from God. We have to have that before we'll act on it. Right. Okay? So, her crying, her washing his feet, her washing his feet with her hair, her pouring that expensive ointment on him, was not earning her forgiveness. They were expressions that she had already been forgiven. They were expressions of her thankfulness for the mercy that God had poured into her life. You see? That is so important for us. Those at the table, now they said this. 
Who is this man that even forgives sins? Now, why do they have that attitude, guys? Who is this man who even forgives sins? What what is their what is their understanding of the forgiveness of sins? Only God. Only God. Right. They had the attitude because they couldn't figure out why he was forgiving her, and then when she was uh, cleaning his feet with his hair and putting the perfume on. He was trying to explain to him that, you know, well, she's done this, and she's done that, but yet you still haven't done this. Yeah, yeah very true. So, uh, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Last statements we'll make in our lesson today. What saved her? Her faith. Her faith. But her faith is in Jesus. And it's the power of Jesus that saves us. My believing does not save me. Are you unbelieving? My believing. Listen, my believing does not save me. My believing is a proof that I am saved. Are y'all with me? Okay. That makes sense? Who is it that saves me? What is it that saves me? Jesus is the one that saves me, and the work that he did on the cross for me is what saves me. Her faith is in him. What saves me and you? What Jesus did on the cross for us. Our faith has to be in that. I can stand on top of a 20-story building and have all the faith in the world that I can fly, but when I jump off, I'm going to (laughs) die. Because gravity works 100% of the time. All the time. Every time because it's a law of God. All right. And just because I believe that God will make an exception for me is not going to give me wings to fly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, now watch. When I believe in what he did on the cross for me, who am I trusting in? Me or him? Him. Him. I recognize my need for him. I recognize that it should be me that was up there. And I recognize how much he loved me and what he did for me. You see? And so her faith was in Jesus. Not in her past. Her faith was not in her past. Her faith was not in what the people in that room thought of her. Her faith was not in... That the thing she was doing was going to get Jesus to forgive her. Her faith was simply in Jesus and His promise. That makes sense? All right, guys. So next week when we get back together, um, if you want to cheat and read ahead, um, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. We're going to still be in Luke, right? Yeah. No, we're going to be in um, Matthew 12 and Mark 3. Um, we're going to see, the. we're going to talk about uh, the sin of, uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead. We'll close with a word of prayer. And God, I want to thank y'all for your time. Okay. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Um, Mark. Mark 3. Mark 3. Three. Yeah. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together. Thank you for your love and your care for us and your sending your son to save broken men and women like us. And you know each of us in this room. And my prayer is that you will help us to all live a life that is expressive of your love and your forgiveness for us. Help us to be that way. Help us to to show your love and your truth and your, your goodness to others so that others may know who you are. Help us to be willing to share your word and your promise, not only in word, 
but in thought, deed, and action. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.